Here we are with Broken Worlds, Exalted, Skeleton Keys, the introduction episode. We are in April 2018. I am Devin, the referee, uh, and to my left we have X playing Y. Nicole playing Tepet Burrell. And Kevin playing Poison Orchid, Grows from Salted Earth. So let's do the breakdown of what this game is about, listeners. Broken Worlds is a game in the Powered by the Apocalypse library. It is based off the design principles of the game Apocalypse World, which um, is to say it's not a generic system, it's just a series of divine design principles these types of games pick up on and use, which are generally uh, the normal interaction of the narrative of a story between players and referee and each other is codified into things called moves. Um, generally, you're willing to 2d6 to see what you did, and the GM, for the most part, doesn't take actions. He takes reactions to what the players do. Um, there's more in the way of Powered by the Apocalypse stuff to get into, but that probably isn't appropriate for this introduction. We could do an episode about it if people cared. We've also done... Um, I was going to bring that up, actually. Yeah. This is our second Powered by the Apocalypse game, as previously we ran through The Veil. Uh, which I think we had a lot of fun with, actually, if yeah. I remember correctly. It was okay. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. It was all, uh, it was very nice. It was very punk. Mm -hmm. So, Broken Worlds. Broken Worlds is an RPG written to be powered by the apocalypse. It is made by the author of Kill Six Billion Demons, the webcomic of the same name. Which is awesome. Yes. It is a very evocative, well-written, and interesting webcomic, and if you're an Exalted fan, you'll feel right at home. Um, the game itself, Broken Worlds, is released only through the creator's Patreon, which is probably in a link to this episode's description. I know you, you read the episode descriptions, listeners. It's where I put all that extra information for you. <coughs> I know you just don't hit play. You, you fucking read those descriptions, right? <laughs> God damn it. So... Um, there's not a lot to get into about Broken Worlds itself. Um, I'm not saying, not to say that it's very generic or straightforward, it's just, it's Powered by the Apocalypse, four kill six billion demons. And can kill six billion demons is, is a very mythic, very high action, very kung fu sort of demigod game, where you play people who are large and in charge, and, uh, you solve your power, you solve your problems through violence and conflict. The core move for combat in the game is called Reach Heaven Through Violence. Everything about this game is so goddamn stylish. <laughs> so, uh, we took one look at Broken Worlds and its playbooks and went, Oh, wow, this fits in Exalted one for one. <laughs> uh, one of the major strong points of a good Powered by the Apocalypse game is the playbooks being very abstract, at the same time will be very distinct in the kind of role it occupies. So there are nine playbooks uh, out for Broken Worlds, and um, they, they fit basically every character I think we've ever made in Exalted. Like I would A lot of characters could fit more than one, one two, depending yeah. on what uh, aspect of the character you're wanting to stress. Mm -hmm. I think we went through all the PCs, like, like all the Solars from Prince of the Universe, and we went through all the NPCs, and I couldn't find a character that didn't fit in one way or another. Like, mm -hmm. for the most part, they all just locked right in. They're very open, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in different ways, too, like the options and the ways you can flavor stuff. Mm. Uh, listeners, if you pick up Broken Worlds by heading to the Kill Six Billion Demon Patreon and are interested in what we're doing to make it work for Exalted, the only change we made is you have an option to play a race with each playbook, and the race option gives you a new fun little power uh, for the playbook. 
we just let players pick whatever race option they wanted for their playbook and said it was just a special trick they had. Yeah. Yeah, whichever. It just flavored it. You don't need any extra rules for solars and abyssals and alchemicals. You don't need uh, power differences. You don't need any of that shit. Because that's all way too granular, way too bulky, and it just it doesn't really work. You just pick your playbook, flavor your character, and the game only cares about you, the players, and how special you are. It doesn't care about broad strokes, what every solar's like, or what every abyssal's like. It's not really important. And it's not really important to how games are played in general. Uh, so yeah, Broken World is good. Check it out. Uh, I've had a lot of fun reading it. It's a very, it's a game that I, I got pretty quickly once we dug into it. And the playbooks are just fun. Like, we'll get into what your guys are playing in a moment. Uh, so this game is an exalted game. It takes place in creation. Uh, specifically, this game takes place in the underworld. A setting we generated for this game called Ten Gods Mountain. Ten Gods Mountain uh, was a small island afterlife in the underworld that refugees from the various conquests of the Death Lords and other underworld empires fled to. It eventually became a large, sprawling, undead metropolis that has trade going through it, various factions, and uh, a real lifeblood of interesting characters. To generate the city, I used uh, Kevin Crawford's Echo Resounding, Kevin Crawford's Godbound book, and Kevin Crawford's um, Dead Names and Silent Legions. These are all books from Stars Without Numbers, Godbound, and other RPG systems written by Son Nomine that have very excellent uh, system creation tools in them. Or not system, but like idea creation tools. Like Echo Resounding tells you how to build like ruins that are interesting or layers or neat things that make uh, a, a city or metro metropolitan area interesting. Silent Legions teaches you how to build pantheons and, and uh, mythological mythoses and cults. Um, Godbound has an entire section for courts that would interact with you. Factions that have their own resources and wants and reasons why just steamrolling them as a demigod would ruin shit for you. Uh, Dead Named is an entire system on how to build weird alien races slash entities. And I'm actually using that in the background to generate Cool demons, gods, ghosts, one-off things, critters from the wild. These are all very robust books, and there's probably links to them in the description. Uh, but Ten Gods Mountain is a flourishing undead city. The whole game is going to take place there. The two characters are tied into that city um, and have a vested interest in it. You'll learn more about Ten Gods Mountain as we move through the game. Uh, the name of the game is Skeleton Keys because I thought it sounded nice. <laughs> I didn't want to do the Wraith thing of calling it ghost stories. I didn't want to make it a pun or a joke. I wanted it to be fairly nice. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the front-loaded information. Should we get into your characters? Yeah. yeah. All right. Who would like to go first? I'll go first. All right, Kevin, please tell the listeners about your character. And uh, after we go through the character, we'll talk a bit about the playbook. Okay. Poison Orchid grows from salted earth, was a member of a noble family, uh, probably in the east, who poisoned himself. Oh, shit. That was his, uh, that was kind of his beginning. He poisoned himself. He had a garden. He was very into, you know, orchids and beautiful things like that. And he poisoned himself because life was 
dreary, and he thought he was caged by his nobility. And then he found out that the afterlife was not this romantic thing, it was... Yeah. He didn't find it out by dying, he found it out because um, a death lord took notice of him. Yeah, so you poisoned yourself and were given the black exaltation. Yes. Who is your death lord? Eyes of Seven Despair. Yep, good old Iron Seven Despair is back, listeners. Uh, he won't probably show up at all, but his influence will be felt. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he granted him this, you know, second chance. He became a Death Knight and uh, was thrust down into the labyrinth as kind of a initiation or an attempt to learn. Mm-hmm. He stumbled across a tomb down there and found a crystal pitcher. And he's been carrying that about with him. Um, he found Ten Gods Mountain, and from there he's kind of been slowly adjusting to things. He's trusted the wrong people. He's met a lot of people and kind of learned their plight of, you know, how hellish the afterlife can be. And his ultimate goal is to find a place in Ten Gods Mountain. In Ten Gods Mountain to kind of plant a seed of hope and renewal and create a heaven down there that people can exist in. Mm-hmm. The nature of under of the underworld and exalted isn't super set in stone. There are various pockets and um, sif- sealed off oubliettes of underlife and they basically reflect um, how people inside lead their lives. So if you take care of your underworld and defend it and you know put effort into it, you can actually make it to be an actual peaceful heaven-like afterlife. Um, but if you don't, you can end up being an actual, like, what were those Buddhist hells where people, where there's demons, like, who have their mouths open and it's full of lava and people are burning them all the time? That's a good question. I, I don't know the name of that. Yeah, they're nightmarish. Mm. He so wants the opposite of that. Yeah, the underworld runs the gamut. Hmm. But yeah, he is a abnormally tall, gangly human with... Uh, inhumanly long arms. Uh, he keeps himself covered in a ragged red robe that covers most of his body. And the most you can see of his face are his lips, which are constantly stained a kind of bluish purple that drip poison. And they don't open when he speaks. That's nice. Yeah, you hear something from inside the robes, but they're not. Com- it's not coming from his <clears throat> mouth. Pause. Now we're back. Hey, what cast are you? Uh, midnight cast. The uh, priest class. class. Ah, we're back to the zenith. They're fun. They are fun. Alright. So, what of the nine playbooks, which one did you choose for Orchid? He is the boss. Describe to us a little bit what the boss is like. The boss is someone who has a gang or followers. And, you know, they're kind of like a mob boss or like the cartoon big enemy guy who has a bunch of grunts around him at all times. Perfect. And a lot of your moves basically are focused around you and the mob being kind of the same entity and doing stuff and... Yeah, empowering them and working with them and yeah, they're very, very much the same entity. Awesome. That is super cool. I actually really like the boss uh, playbook. It's probably I actually my like, favorite. I really like all of them. They're all really neat. Uh, yeah, none of them I really... None of them I dislike. Uh, I've read through them all and like characters but boss is fun just because of all the resources you have and you're able to kind of have like you you have guys with you Mm -hmm. and as we've gone over listeners we are a big fan of guys Mm. named people you care about and interact with 
for instance, my uh, my character has two Nefrak with him at all times, who he just found in the labyrinth and they followed him out. I don't remember what Nefrak are. Uh, they're the original Abyssals, or they were stand-ins for the Abyssals before they moved The Underworld to used to have servants before the Death Lords came, and those were the Nefraks. They're like hateful, oblivion-tainted specter kings and uh, mad zealot priests. Bullshit. Prophets of the Neverborn. Well, <laughs> shit. Yeah. Not a good thing to have around. <laughs> they're, they're tuned into the whispers of the Neverborn and their desires. Yeah, he mostly keeps them at his base where they meditate on the nature of oblivion. <laughs> Alright. So you have a gang with you and you have some named gang members. Do you want to uh, give us a couple of them? Sure. Uh, the uh, members of the Ivory Tongue Guild include Oedipal Han. Edible. Edible? Is that it's how you pronounce it? Edible. 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 Oedipus. Yes. So edible. Yeah. But you're saying like a bee, which is, means you can eat him. That's not what you're trying to say. He's not edible. He's edible. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Thrice cursed fay. Beautiful Lynn. Mantis walks the orchid. Curse of darkness. Self orphaned low. Tea petal you. And rabbit flees the relent- relentless hunter. Mantis walks the orchid. Yeah. Because you're the orchid, it's weird. I imagine a ghost that every once in a while you you like go out in town on a leash, just walking out, and he's there, and he's like, oh, <laughs> don't shame me. <laughs> he's gonna kill me. <laughs> Walks you. I think he's like the guy who knows the uh, city best and kind of guides me around. He's your guy. <laughs> Guys under your supervision. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all these people are, of course. Ghosts, because mostly everyone but the two main characters are ghosts in this city. Yeah, yeah, they're all people who, you know, died, came down here. Alright. So, Nicole, tell the listeners who your character is. Uh, my character is Tepet Varel, um, obviously a member of the Tepet family in... The like, realm? The realm. Yeah, <laughs> um, House Tepet. Yeah, House Tep- <laughs> member of House Tepet. Um, she's not young but she's not old by any means she's more like a 30 something year old equivalent i don't remember how old Dra- just be i'm dragon blooded i don't remember how old they last pretty long yeah <laughs> pretty fucking long um my grandmother um is one of the characters in tangon's mountain her name is tepet thorn or at least that's the name she's going by uh she died when Thorns was taken over. Um, and yeah, she's been down here accumulating power and stuff, and my character's family wasn't there, obviously, when that happened. <laughs> um, I grew up, I don't think I grew up on the Blessed Isle itself, but I was sent to school probably somewhere there. Yeah, you um, probably you probably schooled on the Blessed Isle yeah. with your extended family, because House Tepet. Yeah, exactly. Who's... <laughs> um, lost a lot of power kind of recently. They've had some troubles at the dawn of this age. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I schooled on the Blessed Isle. After I graduated, I've basically went about um, basically being a spy slash assassin. Assassin. Um, Don't know where to go for that. Yeah, my character's very loyal to uh, her family. It's one of her, like, defining characteristics. And... 
you know, young Dragonblood often go on walkabouts. Exactly. That's basically what I was doing. For a long time, I think I was doing um, infiltration for, like, treasure hunting stuff, and that's why I got so good at it. But then I started, you know... It's a thing Dragonblood would do, yeah. like dynasts do, and <clears throat> you were contacted yeah. by your grandmother's ghost and asked to come to hell. Yes. Or to the underworld to help her. Yeah, she uh, sent me not... a letter asking for me to come help her out, so I came. Um, and yeah, basically my first mission that she had for me was to investigate Poison Orchid. Because uh, he was amassing power and doesn't didn't have the greatest reputation in town at that point, and was also blatantly a you know abyssal. Yes, <laughs> which I don't know if listeners remember, but there's a specific reason why someone who died in thorns wouldn't necessarily like abyssals. To uh, jumpstart the listeners' memories, or just inform them if this is their first kind of introduction to Exalted. Oh my God! If this is the first introduction of Exalted, there's just so much we cannot cover in an intro. Right. <laughs> I'm so sorry, new listeners. You'll have to pick it up as you go. Read, you know, seven books. <sighs> in the, I want to say the Scavenger Lands or the Threshold. I don't remember exactly where Thorns is or where it's technically counted, but there was a realm, City of Thorns. And very recently, in the last 10 years or so, it was attacked by an undead uh, tyrant, um, an emissary of, the, of Oblivion itself. And it came with a mountain made of meat and flesh, uh, a juggernaut of sorts, and conquered the city and took it over and is now the new despot. Uh, he is the Mask of Winters, he is a death lord, and he revealed the presence of undead uh, messiah kings to the world. And him and his abyssal exalted. <laughs> so that's what happened to Thorns. As what killed my grandma. Yeah, she did not make it out of there. Yeah. Um, so she had me investigate that guy. Kind of, we were running his little gang together for a while. Now we're not. We're still friends. Hmm. Um, that's everything, basically. You are um, a dragon-blooded? What aspect I'm, are you? I am air aspect. Perfect. What does your character look like? Oh, um, she has like dark tannished skin with um, white markings on her, like uh, aspect markings. Yep. Um, so they're very obviously like flowing and like swirls and stuff because she's air aspect. Uh, she has long, about like to her mid or lower back, white hair. Um, she has lighter blue eyes actually, which she tends to dress to match. Her eyes and her like cast marks and stuff, so it's very. I don't know. She has that aesthetic going on. Um, she tends to keep her nails kind of long, cause. Cutty. Murdery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, she's always barefoot and like never wears gloves or anything. Although gloves isn't necessarily as noticeable as barefoot all the time. I think people dress barefoot. Yeah, she tends to wear, um... And when you're a prince of the earth, you don't really need to worry about, uh, footwear. <laughs> she tends to wear, um, kind of robes, like flowing garments. Um, yeah. Different variants of blues and whites for the most part. She You has... have an aesthetic going on. Yes. So you have blue robes and I have red robes. Yes. Oh, you only red only. Hmm. <laughs> You run a gang of insane, uh, angry ghost people. You're a calm, collected killer. <laughs> Look at that. We have a whole theme going on. Um, she also usually has, you know, hidden somewhere on her person various implements of 
killing, like knives, and she has something called a flying guillotine. Which I think we've decided is a combat yo-yo. It's basically a combat yo-yo, but bigger. It has like blades on the side of it. Um, Google it, listeners. There's pictures. <laughs> or watch uh, Kill Bill episode two, where Gogo that did Gogo girl. have a yo-yo? Yeah, it was basically that. It was a chain with a bladed ball on it. Oh, there you go. We should watch Kill Bill again. I've never seen Kill Bill. We should watch it again. Yeah. Show we've, us been, the deep. Oh. we've been doing movie nights uh, at the house here, listeners, and we recently, for the first time ever, have shown Kevin the prequels. It's a nightmare. The first two, anyhow. The Star Wars prequels are an absolute nightmare. Yes. That's a very hot take. Very relevant. <laughs> um, she left the Senate vote to Jar Jar. Right? Like, what the fuck? Although that happened, Kevin was just like, oh, you stupid bitch! Kevin has legitimately never seen the prequels, so the stuff we take for granted, he did not know. Like he didn't know the blood scanner for episode one existed, listeners. He didn't when that was happening, he's like, This is a joke, right? Like I tried to explain to him, he thought I was making it up or it came from a novel. He didn't understand it was real. What the fuck is a Star Wars? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Take his money and go see a Star War. So yes. Um I guess we should go through your character's shared history. Oh yes. Oh, um, I'm the hunter. Oh, your playbook. Yes. yes. Let's talk about your playbook a little. <laughs> um, I am what is called the hunter, which is basically an assassin. I'm good at sneaking into places, um, spying on people, and murder. And just being places at random for no apparent reason. I can get anywhere. Anywhere I want. Um, I'm also um, the race I chose. Well, it's not really a race. The power. But you, we discussed that. Uh, I chose the one that makes it so that I'm invisible in areas of deep shadow or darkness, and people cannot see me unless I directly attack them. Uh, I also am part of the spider school of combat, or whatever, shadow, shadow arts. Uh, which means, that's why I'm always barefoot and barehanded, because it means I can climb walls and ceilings and stuff. Hmm. And also, I can walk on water and like jump off like people's swords and stuff. I'm, I'm very agility focused. <laughs> uh, one of the moves I like you have is called Practiced Killer, and it's just one that comes with your cla- with your playbook. Yes. Every weapon you own, um, even it. large weapons, yes. have the hidden tag, which means they're just on your person and really can't be found. Yeah, the large weapons basically, I uh, spend a rest tinkering with them, and they fold up. And anyone who tries to use my weapons after I uh, have them hidden on my person gets, like, they're really hard to use because, you know, they're all collapsible and stuff, so they get the clumsy. It it reminds me very much of Bloodborne with all the weird weapons that the characters have that they, like, fold up into their cloaks and stuff and take out and have to set up for combat. Yeah. My first mental image was uh, the first Batman movie where where the Joker pulls out that really, really long pistol from his pants. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Very good. Yeah, those two playbooks are real fun. Um... They, there's a lot of diversity going on with them. Uh, my, I think my two favorite playbooks right now out of the nine are The Fury, because it just it seems so fun to be such a loose cannon. The Fury's all about being a raging kind of unstoppable force. It seems to be the most pure combat. And The Hunger, which is the weird occult sorcerer monster uh, playbook, <laughs> looks super fun. You, you essentially, with the hunger, you uh, you can basically do all the things you want to do with sorcery and exalted, 
and uh, a little bit more, and have stuff like, you know, you can attack with bells and, like, you know, mirrors and stuff. It has a very flavorful kind of uh, uh, skill set to it. And you can, like, you know, bring people, you know, bring up ghosts and bind golems and stuff. One of the powers lets you fuck with time, which I oh. think is just amazing. Oh, no. One of them lets you make a, a wizard's hut. Like, you, you, you have, like, an instrument, and you open a door, and it opens into your personal reality, and then you can close it and open it to anywhere else you want to go. Nice. Like the Lost Room. <clears throat> yeah, those are my favorite. I think those are really fun. Okay, and we're just back after a brief pause. So, we put together, um, using those backstory cards, which I guess we'll link again, hmm. we put together a history for the characters. Um, we did, I think, six different pulls, and then we added two uh, different connections on from the playbooks, because the playbooks have ways to connect your characters together in your history. And then if we had this kind of nice history going on, we... Uh, pulled it all apart and reorganized it and made sure it had like a like a chronological flow. Mm -hmm. So you guys both have that sheet open, right? Yep. Okay. So I will describe one of the events, like in order, and then you guys can talk about Elaborate, it. Elaborate, yeah. Yeah, just talk about it to the listeners. So the first one we got was um, Poison Orchard Grows from Salted Earth was working with an NPC in the <coughs> city called Tyrant Mongoose. To be Though fair, I, I, okay. Though he went by a different name back then. Tyrant Mongoose was part of a dojo that protects some blocks of uh, city in uh, Ten Gods Mountain. And unfortunately, um, they, they were like a martial arts dojo. And me members were going missing. Orchid and Mongoose worked together to locate them. And then it was revealed that Mongoose was actually semi-responsible for it. Betrayed Orchid and uh, killed his master and <coughs> took over the dojo. Yep, uh, Orchid's kind of big flaw is that he is overtly trusting, so when he met Mongoose, who worked for this dojo that, you know, was clearly working for the greater good and, you know, protecting people and was generally very uh, benevolent, he immediately trusted him and believed what he said about, you know, trying to find these missing people and just... He basically used Orchid's ties and his own abyssal abilities to further his own power. Mm-hmm. And yes, the dojo uh, was called the Cobra Dojo, and it was run by Cobra Lord, who was a specter that used to work for the first Forsaken Lion uh, as like one of his like generals or lieutenants. And then he betrayed the lion, turned like like pulled the pull the touch of oblivion out of him, and opened up a dojo here to help people and defend them from being abused by the malicious things that live in the underworld. And then his best student, uh, what was his name, Ash Fang. Betrayed him, killed him, took the dojo sign, renamed it, and uh, called himself Tyrant Mongoose. And now we have a Mongoose clan, and they're criminals. And also not remotely disciplined or no, they're going. They're, they're falling apart, but they, they have secret knowledge that uh, Ash Fang learned from uh, a, a another abyssal, basically. Hmm. Which is something your character learned in that whole debacle. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of what he figured out. And... The machinations of the line extend even here. <laughs> so, that was the earliest event we have in the timeline. Uh, the one after that is oh, Orchid... I'm what? sorry, did we discuss how your reputation got tanked from that whole adventure? Oh yeah, it was absolutely oh, yeah, tanked, because right. they thought he was in league with... Uh, especially when it was revealed that... You know, an abyssal was involved. Yeah, they totally thought that your character was in on it, and that's why your reputation in the town was so ruined. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they, everyone's kind of a little, is very cautious around you. Yeah, and that was what spurred him to begin collecting his own gang and, you know, finding people and trying to, re, you know, save the city himself. Mm -hmm. So the next event was um, you found a base or, or a sort of site of operations for you to work from to kind of turn the city around, um, and you took it by force. Mm -hmm. Something was in there. Yeah, the, the history of it isn't that important, but you have a, a sort of base operation. It's a chalet, an underworld mansion. Yep. Uh, you know, it probably used to belong to uh, those weird cultists that worship that forbidden god. Hmm, most likely, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a, a plutocrat's estate. Yeah, and he just moved in, cleared out the things lurking in there, and began to move people in. Yep. And then uh, Tepid Burrell uh, came to... Ten Gods Mountain, and was hired by her grandmother to target and, like, scout Orchid out. Yes. Um, she wanted to know what his deal was and what he was planning, you know, with the whole gathering forces thing. Including, you know, underworld ap apostles of the Neverborn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think Orchid knows that that's why I started hanging out with him. Mm. But, yeah, yeah uh, but yeah, that was my first mission in town. Yeah, he uh, never caught on to the fact he was being spied on. Mm -hmm. Um, that's basically the only description for that. Like, I started hanging out with your group. Uh, we were basically, after a while, running the gang together basically. yeah yeah and using them to find grave goods in various areas and sell them off and kind of protecting various areas having i wouldn't say protecting rackets because we weren't like intimidating people mm. but we were protecting various areas basically picking up where the uh cobra clan uh <laughs> the cobra dojo the cobra i thought it was uh, the cobra clan it was mentioned in the oh probably cobra dojo okay and yeah cobra clan i used both terms yeah <laughs> Where the dojo kind of left off. The dojo covered only like 13 uh, neighborhoods. Yeah. Like 13 blocks of the city. Yeah, we're definitely trying to expand that. I don't think we're in that same area, no. though. Because that area is oh, no, fucked that's, at the moment. This is a different area. Yeah. Pig Knuckles is having a problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright, so that covers you guys doing like artifact discovery and stuff. And that moves us over to number five. You used to spend time at this location in Ten Gods Mountain called The Titanic. So Titanic is this weird um, structure that juts out of the city streets at odd intervals. Like, only it's like crow's nests and masts and stuff. It's basically a large undersea base from the Shogunate era. And it isn't under Ten Gods Mountain. It's in the sea in the underworld somewhere. But for some reason or another, like, it's, it's, it's you know, Christmas star-like antennas and, uh, and shunts break through the city streets and show up. And if you go inside and go down, you'll end up in the actual Titanic, in the underwater locations, and somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you both have uh, staked out Titanic. Yes. Yeah, people live there, so... This was back when the game was kind of just forming. It wasn't so much of a big operation. It was just us gathering information on people, spying on people of interest. Yeah, basically getting blackmail fodder yeah. uh, that we're still holding on to, basically. Yeah, to bring people to heal mm -hmm. if they uh, fought back. Alright, so after that, um, you used you both used to run the Ivory Tongue Guild, and then when it started becoming a uh, 
cult of sorts, uh, Beryl broke off. Yeah, they start, he started talking. Um, oh, no, I was just saying it's not Beryl, it's Beryl. <laughs> or he could start talking about strange things like, you know, planting a seed of heaven at the center of uh, Tengon's mountain and turning this, changing the very nature of this place. Yeah, weird um, zenithy stuff like altering the, the the spiritual nature of this heaven. Yeah, and I think um, my grandmother Thorn is it Thorn or Thorns? Is she known as Thorn or Thorns? You know, that's actually a very good question. Let's see. I Thorn Tepit Thorn. Okay. Uh, yeah, Thorn. I think was wanting me to take over the um, guild or gang. Yeah, your gang. Um, you obviously wanted to be in control of the gang, and I think I was wanting to have it, me not be in control of it anymore, but, you know, be friends still, like, we're still allies and everything, like, basically everyone wanted a different part of that. Yeah. Um, and that's what led to the next part. <laughs> yes, the next part of this is... Uh, orchard, orchard, orchid, barrel, and tepid thorn. Uh, we're in a three-way standoff. Queen barrel. I, 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 I know it's barrel, but I'm hearing barrel like the crystal. I, I know everyone's gonna say queen barrel, but it's barrel. <laughs> it's a gemstone name, so appropriate. It's barrel. I'll try. Barrel came out of the deal worse off, but got something out of it. Um, and basically, the result of that three-way standoff, where, where tepid thorn got sick of, got got really. Distrusting of how the situation was turning out was you stopped being part of the gang, but you guys stayed allies. Mm-hmm. I actually probably caught wind of, you know, Exalted coming back and this big thing was happening and clearly Orchid was part of it. Yeah, the return of the solar Exalted is something that's been like moving through the, uh, the world. Mm-hmm. I lost an heirloom in that fight. Yeah, you had an heirloom or an artifact or something precious, and in the, the scuffle or standoff or fight that took place that's a little vague, um, it was lost. It is gone. It's missing. Mm-hmm. Just a block-leveling fight between the three of us. Could be. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Yeah. I'm assuming Dragonblooded retained some of their power even after death. Like They're still Dragonblooded. My grandma was not Dragonblooded. She was a patrician. Oh, huh. <laughs> Yeah. I'm Dragonblooded and alive. She <laughs> wasn't either. No, she was a patrician. Huh. <laughs> I think she was like a mother of six. Yes. So I guess it was less us fighting her and more like, oh god, grandma, I don't want to break your bones. I mean, she <laughs> could have had people with her. She's part of the exchange consulate. That is true. Yeah. Um, and then the last <clears throat> note we have after all those is uh, Burrell avoids the labyrinth, which is the reality that exists right under the underworld that's full of nightmares and is an actual labyrinth that leads to the Neverborn and the black hole at the center of, you know, the afterlife. It's what Orchid crawled out of. Yeah. So, Morel has been avoiding the labyrinth ever since um, the first case that they took on trying to find missing people. Because uh, ghosts always go missing in Ten Gods Mountain. There's several different factions that are disappearing people. And Burrell knows that there's evidence in the labyrinth that will kind of shed light on why some people are going missing but you got lost and had a terrible experience and you don't want to go back. No. The labyrinth is confusing and scary. Yeah, it's all Giger-esque and nightmarish. <laughs> yeah, but that is blatantly where more evidence lays about, you know, the disappearances of certain people. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So, uh, that brings us up to the present day. 
if listeners um, need kind of a timeline, it's been no, maybe 10, 15 years since Thorns. Uh, we're not really nailing it down. The Solar Exalted have recently returned to creation. Um, them coming back actually um, you know, aligned with several other events like an eclipse and a, a shifting the ley lines of the underworld, which caused actually several factions that... See, Ten Gods Mountain is one afterlife slash heaven. Uh, where people congregate and trade, but there's other ones that satellite out that people go to and connect and do trade between. And some of those were cut off and shifted around into the underworld um, by the return of the Solar Exalted and the upheaval that's happening in the world of the living, the Skinlands. Um, so yeah, that is where we are now. It is maybe a few, maybe a year or two into the Solar's return. But that is kind of the bare bones of this game. Uh, Ten Gods Mountains, like a 15-page PDF I ended up making with like 30 NPCs and a bunch of factions and things that connect together and named characters. So it has a lot of life to it. That likely will also be linked somewhere. Or... Yeah. And I might use it as an InDesign project mm -hmm. where I, I learn how to use InDesign finally or Scribus and actually make it a PDF that I can just upload. Mm -hmm. But that might be a ways off. Anyway, um, do we have anything else we want to cover here? Maybe some of the factions and whatnot? Sure, I'll get into some of the factions. Major areas in town, people of interest. Sure. So the first, we'll, we'll start with Ten Gods Mountain. Ten Gods Mountain is an actual mountain that overlooks a sheer cliff that goes into, I think, the water below. Um, I'll double check between now and uh, when the next episode hits up, listeners. <laughs> but it's a city that doesn't have central authority or government. It's, it's a lot of refugees that came together and worked together to make this place into a fortified city. But it's like a bunch of eclectic cultures and ideas that have come together under this idea that they don't want to be ruled. Um, they all fled from the expanses of the, the Death Lords and uh, various other rulers and tyrants and don't want it. They want to be left alone. So the city is like a walled fortress city on a mountain. Um, it has a, a very diverse architecture to it. There are crenellation, crenellated castles and pagodas and, you know, the different kind of cultures all kind of pushed up against itself haphazardly. Um, and then like trade routes and, and small sort of uh, monasteries and remnants that have been shored up from the Skinlands, echoes of buildings that were destroyed have appeared here because this place is now starting to magnetize important structures and important things people feel about here. So it's very eclectic and not planned out. Um, and yeah, in the city itself, uh, I wrote up three factions to showcase the type of factions that exist in the city. The first is the Candlemaker Guild. The Candlemaker Guild is responsible for illuminating the city. If there are lights, it's the candle makers that provide it, and they are very uh, controlling of that position. They make candles, and if you think that, and the, the context here is that it's very difficult to make things in the underworld. The underworld doesn't really have materials; it has echoes and reflections of the real of the of the skinlands of creation. But things don't really grow here. Things aren't really made here. You have to, you know, be able to kind of shape the landscape or take bits of it and turn into something new. And the Candlemaker Guild, they turn materials, dirt, earth, uh, the ash of the land into candle and wax and tallow and oil. And they use it to light the city with uh, the kind of pale ghost flame that the underworld has for fire. 
Uh, because they're so good at turning things into things, they are also uh, moliators. They're, they're people who can reshape the gauze or the, the material that ghosts and wraiths are made of. So people go to them for surgery or healing. Uh, they go to them to get their faces changed or to get their appearance shifted. You look, you look like what on the inside you feel like you are when you die. And a lot of the times, you know, if your death was violent enough, that means your death marks stay with you because it's so part of uh, your identity and tied to your emotions. And the Candlemaker Guild, they're the ones who deal with that and can help you have a new identity. They can also be used to, like, fix really catastrophic damage that happens to your form or just help you along if you encounter some weird issues. Uh, after them, there is the Exchange Consulate. The Exchange Consulate are a currency exchange. They exist to facilitate trade between Ten Gods Mountain and the other satellite afterlives, and the guilds that are within all of these different cities and locations. So they keep track of ledgers, they keep track of goods, they keep track of debts, and they help people kind of exchange all of that and keep track of it and take some off the top. They're a bank. They're, they're currency lenders. They work with money and help facilitate an economy. Without them, it'd be very difficult to do that. Um, they also have a ghost power that they've picked up. They've mastered the art of currency and uh, economics to the point where they can do what's called usury, which ghosts in Exalted, if they get too tied to the underworld, if they get too tied to what's called oblivion, negative emotions, nihilism, uh, hopelessness, they will eventually uh, mutate and turn into what's called a specter, uh, an entity that's driven by the underworld, that hears the whispers of the dead titans at the bottom of the world, and it makes them caustic and angry and violent. Um, and what the Exchange Consulate does is, with their power of usury, they can actually pull this, this sort of spiritual cancer out of you and give it to someone else. So the Consulate... Um, they have wraiths that volunteer. They, they take money in exchange for holding on to that taint. And they have a, a complex web of, you know, living debt holders that'll hold on to that sort of spite and uh, cultivate it in themselves so other people can get rid of it if they're close to becoming a specter. And the last of the three organizations that I wrote up was the Syndicate. They are a association of criminals and bootleggers and thieves that import forbidden goods into the underworld. Things you would think that people should be able to get. They have reached, they say, in heaven, in creation, in Malpheus, the, the, the hell. Um, and that's kind of their shtick. They run exotic goods into the underworld through means people don't quite understand. I then wrote up three places to kind of highlight Ten Gods Mountain. One we already covered was the Titanic. It is a sunken, shogunate-era battle fortress that used to ride the waves of the Western Sea. Um, it was destroyed, and its remnant, its echo, lives on in the underworld, in some ghost sea where leviathans and anglerfish lights attract specterous things to as prey. It sits and dances in the kind of thick, gauzy ocean. But its, its towers and crow's nests and antennas and sails for some reason or another, they puncture up into Ten Gods Mountain streets, and you can go up to the top of them and climb on inside and find yourself in the labyrinth, in the Titanic. And that's where people strip mine it for parts and material and make a living. Because there's things in there. It used to be an old shogunate fortress. There's 
grave goods and treasure and hidden things. Especially because I think like the currents kind of end up swooping things here. Yeah, things end up in the Titanic <clears throat> or slammed onto it or nearby, floating sunken islands and what have you, or, you know, houses caught in a current, then you can swim out and find them. Yeah. Orchid's primary means of making money with his gang is to find grave goods, and the Titanic is, has kind of been a constant provider for that kind of thing. It is a very good at doing that. Uh, the second location I wrote up was the Redoubt of the Jaguar Queen. The Jaguar Queen was the ghost of a sidereal exalt that came to Ten Gods Mountain and wanted to turn it into the, the, the central hub of her new empire. She wanted to make a ghost empire for spirits and the undead to kind of give them a place to live and give them hope. And she was building a grand empire, um, and it was all destroyed. She's specters spewed out and just ruined the place. <laughs> and she basically led the charge to stop them from, you know, spilling to the rest of Ten Gods Mountain because it was clear she was betrayed or someone's acting against her. And the whole place is left in ruins. There are spirits that have lost all hope that are looking for the Jaguar Queen's ghost, trying to find her. There are specters from the original attack, you know, rampaging through. It's a ruined place. And the last place was the Heretic Monastery of the Rule. The Rule is a forbidden god that has worshippers in the underworld. Um, a cult of plutocrats, the richest of the rich, one percenters, people who are used to being able to avoid the consequences of their actions by using money and wealth. And they worship the Rule because he is a forbidden god. He is one that they say has a hand on the wheels of time and consequence. He can bring you back from the dead. He can undo your misfortune. He can stop your actions from having consequence. Uh, and this was actually a pretty big cult in Ten Gods Mountain until an actual immaculate wild hunt came through, uh, made up of like the ghosts of immaculate monks. And one liminal exalt uh, came on through and butchered the place and destroyed it and uh, purged the shrines, undid the heretical altars, and made sure this place was cleaned. And it's still on fire now, to this day, years and years later. And yeah, you can find like wealth and remnants of plutocrats and people who go there and throw everything they own into the fires, hoping to get the rule's favor. Because the rule is a god that only the wealthy would ever flock to in like huge numbers, because he is all about taking away that final bit of consequence to your actions, the consequence of dying. It's not even so much that only the wealthy would flock to him, but he's the only god that the wealthy would flock to. Yeah. Switch that around more. Yeah. It's the like one they, thing that their money can't buy them. And thus they, they demand his favor. They <laughs> beg for it. Oh, wait, no, there's one more rune. I made four. The other one was the dojo. It used to be the Cobra Clan dojo. Um, it was in the neighborhood of Pig Knuckles, which is 13 blocks that were patrolled by ghost martial arts students who were trying to keep the area safe, keep people happy, and it used to be the most well-defended place ever. The master was betrayed um, by his apprentice. His apprentice took over and named it the Mongoose Clan, and now they rule Pig Knuckle with an iron fist. A mongoose fist. 
um, the remnants of the Cobra Clan, now called the Righteous Hawks, are trying to strike back and take it back. The joke here, <laughs> listeners, being that uh, mongoose eat snakes, hawks eat mongoose. And uh, other than that, I made up three little what I call layers, which are just things that generate problems for the city. Uh, there's one called the Hungry Ronin, which are a group of mercenaries that were cut off from their home because of the geomantic shift when the solars came back, and they just pillage like mercenaries. That's their thing. The Marrow Rations are a group of beastmen made up of uh, rations and crows and rats and scavengers uh, who, much like the animals that they represent in the creation, feast on the dead in the underworld. They're scavengers. Spiritual scavengers. And yeah, there's a nest of them here. And the last layer was the No Hope Way Practitioners, run by Aunt Skull, they are necromancer uh, heretics and cultists trying to understand oblivion and uh, the power of specterhood so that they can make themselves, you know, kings in the underworld. And they often kidnap people and experiment on them with their occult rituals. And that's it. That's a nice little overview of some of the things I wrote up for Ten Gods Mountain. Yes. Um, to clarify, my aunt Tepet, or my grandma, you kept saying aunt, so I keep saying aunt now. My grandma Tepet Thorn is part of the Exchange Consulate, um, so that's the faction I'm, I've been working with the most. Mm -hmm. Well, that and also I guess Kevin's little mini yeah. faction. <laughs> yeah, every time. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah, uh, is there anything else we want to give the listeners? Uh, punch. Very nice. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think that kind of sums up most of what we need to do for an intro. All right. Well, um, the other thing I want to add, listeners, is we're doing two things. Uh, I don't know if this or riffs will come out first, but we are looking to break our episodes down into smaller chunks while still maintaining the same length that we actually play our games. So this will be this is one of those um, this is one of those experimental games where. Every episode we're hoping will be 45 minutes to 60 minutes, and where we might release this one a little frequently, where you can kind of just get an episode in 60 minutes instead of, you know, two, three, four hours. So we'll see how that turns out, and so will you. The other thing with it is we're trying to make this game a little more dramatic, a little more serious. Uh, we've been blowing off a lot of the goofy, jokey, fun steam in, like, Stars Without Numbers and... Savage riffs. Definitely savage riffs. Good God. Oh yeah, like we were not we're not taking any of that seriously. So we're seeing if we can just kind of use that venting to come back to this game and make it more grounded. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll wrap for there. I was Devin. Kevin. And Nicole. And this is sponsored by Nobody. Signing off. Mm -hmm.